Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Sutter's right alongside Honor Baltazor. And today we're back to doing virtual shows because we're no longer on campus together, but don't worry, that'll come back eventually. Maybe. Someday. Someday. Who's to say? But we're get, we have a, not necessarily the most jam-packed show. I think it's the first episode we've had in a little while that doesn't have any recruiting news, which, you know, pour one out for that. I guess. <laughs> pour oh, one well. out for the lack of recruiting news. But we do have one announcement before we go into the recap of the Batcats. The more general NCAA news that recently has come out and two wacky segments of the week. But let's first start off with the, the pregame announcement before we start into anything involving the Cats. If you did not know, our one-year anniversary for us doing the show is rapidly approaching. In fact, we will be putting out an episode on June 5th that'll just be like our one-year special. But before that, probably that Saturday, June 4th, or somewhere around there, we will be doing a one-year anniversary live show where we can have every one of the alley cats that wants to swing on by, obviously time permitting, we'll probably do it in the evening, like a seven o'clock or something. Still ironing out the details because we always fly by the seat of our pants, but <laughs> ironing out the details. It'll probably be seven o'clock on Spotify green room on June 4th. Please feel free to join us. We want as many alley cats there as possible. As Maple tries to interrupt the show. We love Maple. <laughs> She's great. She's just acting a little weird. Yeah, she's being a weird little guy. <laughs> she's she's a weird little guy. But yeah, be there. We always love listening and talking to any of the alley cats that we see. So please be feel free to drop by the live show that weekend to celebrate us with us one year of doing the show. But with that out of the way, let's start talking about the Batcats, who've played a grand total of four games since we have last talked about them with the Shake and Blake show last week. If you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead. It's a really funny one for me. <laughs> I thought it was a great episode. I really like, uh, really like those two. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. I, I really enjoyed having them on. Yeah, our next guest has been wanting to come on the show for a little while, so... I'm not sure if he knows he's the next guest yet, but I have a feeling he might know he's the next guest. <laughs> I, I think he has a pretty good inkling that he's the next guest is a good way to put it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put it like that. And anyone who's followed this person kind of knows who we're talking about, but that's neither here nor there. We have four games to cover from the Batcats. The first set of three is the series against Baylor. That was the last home series for the Batcats before they went on the trek to Virginia and West Virginia, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start off by talking about the series at Baylor. The opening game of the series was a 4-2 loss in favor of Baylor, and that was a stat line of four runs to two compared to K-State and two errors by the Kansas State Wildcats in a game that was an hour, two hours and 35 minutes. Goodness me, if it were an hour and 35 minutes, I'd be... <laughs> that would be a lot of three up, three downs, or just flyouts. Just just one pitch fly. flyouts, one pitch ground outs. <laughs> That's Mark Burley time right there. <laughs> but yeah, the scoring went, Baylor scored first in the third inning with a single, an RBI single, and then in the fifth, 
There were two more runs scored, well, three more runs scored, all by Baylor. And then the catch tried to make a comeback in the sixth inning with a Dylan Phillips home run. And then a Josh Nikoloff RBI single, which advanced Jeff Heinrich to the plate. But unfortunately, they came up short, four to two to the Baylor Bears. And this was one of those games that in a Big 12 where I believe it's six out of the nine schools participating are projected to make the tournament. Yep. Um, six or seven. I think West Virginia is one of the borderline teams, aren't they? Um, I think as of now, they're actually projected to make the field because okay. they've they've been quietly pretty good this year. It's really the Big 12 is really separated into a few different groups where you have uh, KU uh, and Baylor and K-State at the bottom. Uh, granted, caveat, K-State is uh, out ahead of those two. But yeah. we're still solidly in the worst group in the Big 12. Then you have at the top your Oklahoma States, your Texas Techs. Um, and Oklahoma has also kind of found themselves uh, in that group as well. Yeah. I don't think we realized quite how good they were like when we played them because they've been on a roll. Did. I think they've cracked the top 25 as well. And you have Texas, uh, West Virginia, and TCU in the middle. And probably TCU out in front of those TCU has kind of gone back and forth between the top of the conference and that middle part. Yeah. But the big 12 was a very good baseball conference, uh, especially some of those Texas schools. Uh, but West Virginia has had an uncharacteristically good year. I would say based off of the very short amount of time that I've been following big 12 baseball, yeah. uh, even remotely closely. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it, this was a game that, I'm not going to lie, had its fair share of, of frustrations. Blake Adams was on the mound. He ended up staying at a perfect 500 with his record going five for five, with his record on the year being five for five, collecting a loss. Jake Jackson was on, excuse me, on the mound for Baylor, ended up going four for four. This was his fourth victory. And this was just the first thing you have to look at for me is always the errors. And it was Dom Johnson and Jeff Heinrich who both had errors. Yeah. Uh, I was looking and it was both on scoring plays. Uh, mm-hmm. Dom Johnson had a fielding error and then uh, Jeff Heinrich had a throwing error, which to be fair with that cannon, I get it probably I overthrew understand. all the way to the stands, but <laughs> probably hit the hospital. You might be right. I can't confirm it, but I'm just going to assume that you're correct. <laughs> that, that's just more fun to think about. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. It seems like it's every game we lose, it's something like that where uh, it, it's just some some silly errors. I mean, fielding error in left field to me, that says he either dropped a fly ball. I wasn't at this game, uh, but he either dropped a fly ball or like misplayed and like it came off his glove when he was trying to field it and allowed a run to come through. Heinrich probably just overthrew uh, somebody, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's frustrating because I feel like this team, this is very, very similar to last year. Just, I feel like they should be doing better than they are. Yeah. Um, granted, they've been playing a bit more admirably. Uh, down the stretch, although dropping a game to KU really, really stinks. I, I mean, that's borderline inexcusable. And not being able to perform away from home continues to be just a thorn in the side of this team. It's been mentioned several times now that they have the best uh, home record or tied for the best home record in the entire Big 12. And 
their away record is just awful. I mean, they're six and 13 on the road, uh, 21 and seven at home. I mean, they have, uh, I, I don't think that's quite accurate. It's something ridiculous like that. It, like, it's 21 and seven at home, six and 14 and 0 and three at neutral sites. That is really, really rough. And I get that Toynton is like kind of, it's a hitter friendly ballpark and our team is built for that. Yeah. But, you know, that also means that other teams should be, you know, hitting well at home. So I'm still struggling to figure out what it is that makes us just that much better at home. Like, are we really just that much more comfortable in our own ballpark? It, like it I, almost has to be. I, I get home field advantage, but I don't get the just inability to perform on the road. Like I, I would expect our away record to be a little worse, like, like even even significantly, but not to this degree. I mean, twenty one and seven to six and fourteen. That's drastic. Granted, I do think it is actually better than last year. I think it is. That's not saying much. Which and, is sad. And then it also does hurt that they didn't pick up those neutral games or any of them. Beating Arizona uh, on the first game of the season that that would have been so huge uh, in hindsight. And then. I don't know. This is this is just going to be another what if team that it's similar to last year. They might make some noise in Arlington, but they're going to have to win in Arlington. They're going to have to sweep West Virginia and either go the championship or win in Arlington to even sniff the tournament. And right now, they're pretty. They're not even on the bubble. They're solidly out. So yeah, if you count neutral site games, we are much, much, much worse than last year. Yeah. So six in would that be like eighteen, seventeen, or eighteen? Yeah. So we're, we're what, 0 and 4 on mm. neutral? 0 and 3. 0 and 3. Okay. So 6 and 17. That's not good. Uh, you get you got to be better away from home. I, I get defending home, but you can't go undefeated at home. I mean, be one thing if this team is 28 and 0 at home. Like, okay. Like, that's, like, that's fine. Okay. But if you're going to you Texas and Oki yeah. at home. Yeah. But if you're going to ride your whole season on being able to perform at a high level at home, you. Like, like if you're going to be this bad on the road, you have to be almost flawless at home. You can drop one, maybe two games, and that is just not realistic. And because you uh, drop some to Baylor, yeah, drop 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 a game to Baylor, drop a game to KU, can't be doing that, especially at home. So that that little tangent out the way for individual performances today. I'll cover hitting today if you want to cover pitching. Fair, fair enough. All right. So Dominic Johnson was batting leadoff, went one for five, left one on base. Brady Day was the DH today and bat second, took an 0 for five day with one strikeout. Jeff Heinrich considered continued his pretty solid days of hitting, going two for five with a run and one strikeout with one left on base. Dylan Phillips went one for three with one RBI and one walk. Josh Nikoloff went three for four with one RBI. Nick Goodwin took an 0 for four. Cole Johnson went two for three with a walk. Justin Mitchell went 0 for three with a walk and left three on base, unfortunately. And then Kalen Culpepper took an 0 for four, which is strange for him because he's been really hot recently. But yep. Yeah, sometimes that, that, you have those yeah. days. That is weird. Uh, Nikoloff having a fantastic day. He's been very up and down. Like He's like the most feast or famine batter on this team, I feel like, uh, where he's either just just objectively the best batter in your lineup other than maybe Heinrich or he's just a complete liability at the plate. So I get the logic and Pete wanting to try and throw him at the front of the lineup and move Dom Johnson to cleanup. 
uh, for a few games recently, but it, the results have been pretty mixed. Yeah. Most of the exper- most of the random experimenting that Pete has done this year has not really worked out. The moving Blake Adams to the pen <laughs> for multiple series that probably costs us multiple top ten wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, Oklahoma State. I mean, if Blake is just the guy out of the the start, I mean, you're looking at taking multiple series this season against top fifteen teams, top. Uh, 10, I guess it would have been at the time. So that's a whole nother tangent. Uh, so I guess I can move into pitching. Uh, speaking of Blake Adams, he started this game. Wasn't one of his strongest outings. Recently, we've seen uh, Blake Adams. hasn't been as dominant, uh, at least partially. Uh, he went six innings. Uh, was credited with the loss. Had five hits, uh, four runs allowed, all earned. Uh, five walks, three strikeouts, one intentional walk. Uh, he did force 10 ground outs and 91 pitches. So he did keep the pitch count to a respectable number and uh, was at least, even though he wasn't getting a lot of strikeouts, he was uh, forcing a lot of uh, easy contact yeah. uh, plus four flyouts. So not the absolute worst outing for Blake Adams ever, but the five walks, you really don't like it. Yeah. And, you know, four earned, you know, that's not awful. I mean, that's one away from a quality start after six. So, you know, but still not the most like sensational outing of all time or anything, but the relievers actually did pretty decently. Christian Brubeck came in. He's been surprisingly quality as of late because he had a very rough start to the season and he has seemingly kind of figured it out in the bullpen, which it seems like we have one or two guys a year that just do that. Figure it out. Last year was Eric Torres, who at the beginning of the season for a while, his ERA was hovering in the mid-teens. And by the end of the year, he was our ace reliever. Like yeah. We just throw out Jordan Wicks for seven innings and put Eric Torres in for two and just suffocate an offense for an entire game. Yeah, so you're not I mean, winning that game. Mm, no. Sorry. No, you, will, you will be – you've elected to lose this game, which, I mean, Jordan Wicks and Eric Torres with our bats, I mean, that was a guaranteed at least one win generally by the end of the year. From yeah. a series, but Rubeck back to this year went two and a third, three hits, one strikeout, one wild pitch, uh, face 10 batters, uh, five flyouts, and a ground out. Don't like a uh, um, pop out pitcher uh, in Toynton. <laughs> that mm-hmm. makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that one. But he was able to uh, just get a lot of guys to get too far under and forced five flyouts, uh, got one strikeout. Rubeck is perhaps the most volatile volatile pitcher I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, there's another one who's more volatile on the same team. I suppose you might be right. I'm, I'm not exactly sure who you're thinking of, but I probably I probably know. Is he a lefty? Oh, okay. Well, then I actually... Slider. Don't. Slider? Oh, yeah. I do know who you're talking about. <laughs> I was trying yeah. to figure out if you're talking about like Wes Moore for a second. I'm like, he's like a little volatile, like not that much. Like no, he's just no, a no, power no, pitcher. No, 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 no. <laughs> I understood no, no. what you meant there for a bit. <laughs> but now then Wes Moore came in um for one batter and issued a walk. And Pete said that was enough. And which I remember the situation we had. I think Rubeck allowed a few guys on uh after having some two really quality innings. It seems like Rubeck's limit is about two to three innings right now. Yeah. Uh, Wes Moore came in, uh, got a guy 
to 3 0, unfortunately. Came back, uh, got two big strikes and a few fouls, and then ended up walking him on what was a pretty solid pitch, as I recall, because I watched a little bit of the end of this game on my phone. Mm-hmm. Blake Corsentino came in, went two thirds of an inning, got two strikeouts and 10 pitches, cleaned up pretty nicely there. But unfortunately, that was not enough for the Bat Cats on this day. They end up falling. Sad. Um, but, you know, Baylor, they do have some quality players on this team. Uh, McKenzie, he's really, really good. Trey Richardson has been a thorn in our side for a while. So this, I would say that Baylor's kind of similar to us where their record probably doesn't reflect the talent of their team. But sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles and you just don't have a good year because this was a regional team last year and they brought back quite a bit. But I just unfortunate way uh, for the season to go for Baylor and for the Cats. They're kind of kindred spirits in that way, I suppose. But tough, tough way to lose the first game of the series if you're K-State. Yeah. But luckily for us, the next two games were both victories by the exact same score, seven to five. The second game of the series was, like I said, a victory seven and five in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats. And it was 14 hits compared to Baylor's seven. But of course, K-State still had their two errors, which were committed by Dylan Phillips and Justin Mitchell. The rare error by Justin Mitchell. It must have been a throwing error of some kind uh, for for that to happen. I'm not really sure what else it could be. Um, I, I... Maybe if you, I know it pretty much has to be that. No, 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 it has to be that. That's unless he was playing first, which no, but uh-oh, he's far he too comes. slow to get up the line. So uh, if you hear heavy breathing, that is chunk. <laughs> he may the want dog. to get it. Yeah, he may want. Oh, no, he's gone. He wanted to get on the episode. He wanted his cameo appearance. He is the biggest dog I have ever seen. Yeah, he's a St. Bernard. He's a big, he's a big old boy, but, um, gone to lay down in the bathroom I guess but in terms of scoring for this game it started off in the first with two runs scored the first one by Dylan Phillips on a double which scored Josh Nikoloff and then Dom Johnson ended up fouling out which scored Jeff Heinrich because it was a deep foul out then in the second it was a Justin Mitchell homer there's Maple making her appearance (laughs) and then she keeps walking in front of my laptop Uh, like cats cats just do that is, they're being, she's being a weird little guy. Weird little guy. <laughs> but yeah, it was a Justin Mitchell home run in the second, followed by a Jeff Heinrich single, which ended up scoring both Kalen Culpepper and Josh Nikoloff. Then Baylor responded in the fourth with a two-run home run. Yeah, they, they didn't capitalize the L in left field. So I'm like, why is that an infield line? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> But then they ended up tying it up in the fifth inning, scoring by a score of five to five with a three run homer again down the infield line, apparently. (laughs) And then Justin Mitchell ended up singling, which scored Cole Johnson and Nick Goodwin, which gave you the final score of seven to five. In terms of batting performances, Josh Nikoloff batted leadoff today with two for five with two runs, two strikeouts, and two left on base. Jeff Heinrich went two for three with two RBIs, a walk, and a strikeout. Brendan Jones eventually came in later in the day to be a defensive substitution. He only had one AB and struck out Dylan Phillips before he became a pitcher, which he ended up getting credited with the save because 
Yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Ended up going two for five with an RBI and three strikeouts. Yeah, that's a power hitter. Dominic Johnson batted a cleanup today, and he went one for four with one RBI and a strikeout, one left on. Nick Goodwin ended up going 0 for 4, but scoring a run because he walked and struck out once, left on base once. Cole Johnson ended up going 0 for 2 with two walks. Cash Rugely, who is a spot starter this game, who actually had a pretty solid series, went 2 for 4. Uh, Orlando Salinas was a defensive substitution later on in the game. We did not register in at that. And then Justin Mitchell went 2 for 4 with three RBIs and two strikeouts. He was pinch run for by Dominic Hughes. Rafael Pelletier was a defensive substitution. And then finally, Kalen Culpepper took a three for three day with one walk. So give Kalen the game ball. Yeah, got, got on base every single time. Yeah, yeah. good for Kalen. We had doubles by Josh Nikoloff, two by Dylan Phillips, one by Cash Rugely, a home run by D- Justin Mitchell, and then a sacrifice fly by Dom Johnson. Yeah. Um, crazy hitting day for the Cats. They had 14 hits in this game, only seven runs to show for it. Normally, if you give the back hats 14 hits, they're going to put up a lot more than seven. Yeah. But they were able to minim- minimize the the uh, the damage. Uh, Baylor's starter only made it through one and a third, didn't register a strikeout, uh, 46 pitches through one and a third, five hits, five earned. Um, and relief guy, he goes three and two thirds and actually doesn't give up anything. But uh, that was a difficult day for most of the Baylor pitching staff. Uh, K-State's pitching staff, though, did actually have a pretty solid day as well. Herman Fajardo gets the start, um, a rare weekend start for Herman. Yeah. He, he's kind of become a fan favorite as of late, I'd say. He's a very exciting pitcher. And he ends up going uh, four and two thirds in this game. Um, five hits, five runs, five earned, uh, one walk and nine strikeouts uh, to go with three hit by pitches uh, on 83 pitches. Yeah, I, I I watched this game and it all fell apart in the fourth and fifth inning. He was a dealing for the first three. Like he was, he became the best pitcher in the country for the first three innings. Now, Herman, he is a guy I think is going to have a similar trajectory to uh, uh, Eric Torres uh, with his career where he kind of starts out as like it was a high strikeout you know, volatile reliever and hopefully figures it out and becomes an ace. He's got a similar uh, delivery to uh, Torres, not quite as uh, sweeping. I would say Fajardo is a little bit more uh, jagged, I yeah. suppose, but I really like Fajardo a lot uh, in the way that he's developed over the course of this season. And uh, he, he was a transfer guy. I think he was from Arizona. So, and he wasn't getting any playing time last year, which like, is hard to see why, because he's, you know, he's really quality. But yeah. um, Blake Corsentino relieved Fajardo. Uh, he's pretty much the exact opposite <laughs> of Fajardo, <laughs> just pitching to contact, uh, four flyouts, five groundouts, two hits, one walk, no strikeouts, no runs allowed, and three and a third. He gets credit with the win. The most boring stat line of all time, but he does catch dub. Good for him. <laughs> and then uh, Dylan Phillips comes in, pitches one inning, and gets two ground outs, faces two batters. That's it. Four pitches. Ever efficient. The ever efficient Dylan Phillips. I, well, you know, how would he have faced two batters but only going 
I, that yeah. is a mystery that I don't know. I watched the game and I don't know how that happened. I think they must have just forgot to put one because I'm pretty sure he got a strikeout or a ground out to end the game and they just yeah. didn't include that. Because I remember I I graduated on this day. Mm-hmm. So I was very tired because I had the 8.30 a.m. graduation. So yes, I was up at did. 6, yes, which is a lot earlier did. than I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And so I... We did that, went out to breakfast, came back, entertained for a while, and then I took a three-hour nap, which happened to be almost the entire duration of this game, and I woke up and watched the last out that we recorded, and that was it. So, uh, Dylan Phillips gets his fifth save of the year. I mean, gotta love it. Of course he did. One of our only left-handed pitchers. One of two. Why... Is it three? It's three. Oh yeah, yeah because three. Three. we have a we have a Nicholson, Nicholson yeah. and Westmore. Yeah, and Adam Phillips. So I guess it's more like two and a half. But yeah, two and a half. It's fine. Yeah, uh, cats get the dub. Um, probably should have been a, a wider margin. I mean, fourteen hits. You'd like to see them add a few more runs, but a win is a win. I'm not going to complain too much about it. So yeah. Yep, and then the final game of the series, which ended up sealing the series dub in the Roger Matt rubber match. Goodness me, <laughs> for K State, it was another seven to five victory in a game that we actually got out hit nine to seven, but we didn't have any errors. Ty Rule gets credited with the victory, and of course, guess who gets the save? Dylan Phillips. Dylan Phillips, because what would what? Where would we be if Dylan Phillips didn't? get the save no one knows but in terms of scoring it started off in the first inning with a home run to right field for Baylor on a sequence that went ball ball strike foul 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 and then ball (laughs) Uh, and then home run yeah I was at this game and that was a very frustrating at bat because McCullough uh, I was really hoping that this was going to be the day that he got over his last few starts because he's kind of struggled down the stretch this year. He's been dealing with injury and trying to play through it. And I was just thinking to myself, I was like the only, like at this point, you just need to like, like force a ground out, get a strikeout, walk him even. But like, yeah, just do something, man. McKenzie is like their their biggest power hitter. I was like, just don't let him get it out. And then like two pitches later, it's a home run to right field and i was like man like, it's gonna be one of those days i guess but no yeah but then casey k-state answered in the first however they didn't get two runs they got one with a nick goodwin rbi single which ended up scoring jeff heinrich baylor then answered in the second inning with a single that ended up scoring a run and then Baylor answered in the third with a sacrifice fly, and then in the fifth with another single. And then in the eighth inning, the Batcats decided it was time to win this game and make a comeback. Dylan Phillips ended up score- singling, which advanced Heinrich to third and scoring Josh Nikoloff. Nick Goodwin then hit a four-run bomb, which scored Dom Johnson, Dylan Phillips, and Brendan Jones. So that is what the kids call a grand slam. I- <laughs> I- Listen. Yep. I might be stupid. It's okay. And then Cash usually had himself his own little home run, which gave us the final score of five to seven in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats. Yeah, um, I was there through the seventh. 
I was there with my girlfriend, but she had been dealing with a sunburn and was really tired. So we left after seven and I was like, of course they're going to come back. Cause this has happened to me like three or four times throughout college where like, if I leave a game early, we amount like some incredible comeback. And I remember it happened with TCU back in 2019 and yep. uh, it happened earlier this season with you and me. And of course that happens, you know, one inning after we go, uh, we, I go from down five, one up seven, five, and just one inning ultimate back. I even called it when I walked out, I was talking to my girlfriend and I'm like, you know, like they're, they're due for a big inning. They always have one, like just the ultimate back hats game. is just one big inning and then just walk away with a win. And it yeah. happens every time. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah. Goodness me. In terms of individual statistics, Josh Nikoloff hit leadoff, went 0 for 3, but scored a run because he walked. Jeff Heinrich batted second, went 1 for 4. Brendan Jones eventually pinched Rand, but got himself in. No, he didn't. He just scored a run. Dylan Phillips was batting a third today, went 1 for 1 with three walks. Interesting stat line. Also had an RBI. Yeah, they were really pitching around Dylan. I remember at one point that Dylan had an at-bat where before it, Pete called time. And they walked down the baseline and Pete talked to him for like two minutes straight. And then Dylan steps in the box and doesn't take the bat off his shoulder. And they just throw four straight balls. <laughs> and I, yeah. I think it was just Pete being like, Dylan, you like, they're just not going to finish to you. Yeah. Like they just take the free base. Just like go to first, like deal with it. It'll be all right. And lo and behold, he gets walked three times. <laughs> one for one with one run and one RBI. Then Dom Johnson ended up going 0 for 3, but walked, so he ended up scoring a run. And then Nick Goodwin went 2 for 3 with 5 RBI, 4 of which coming on the Grand Slam. Then Cole Johnson went 1 for 4, 2 left on base. There she is again. <laughs> <laughs> I love Maple so much. but she's, she's just nosy. She's a nosy cat. But Brady Day went 0 for 3 in the DH role. Cash Ruggie was a pinch hitter and then went one for one with one RBI. That was the home run. So that was a yeah. pinch hit home run. Orlando Salinas went 0 for 0. Justin Mitchell went 1 for 1. And then Rafael Pelletier came in after him, went 0 for 3, a strikeout. And Kalen Culpepper cooling off a bit from the previous day, taking an 0 for home runs from Nick Goodman and Cash Ruggie. Dominic Johnson was caught stealing and Nick Goodman was hit by a pitch. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell actually did get injured in this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was the play that I asked you about. I was asking if you were watching mm -hmm. and it was a play where they said it hit. We hit Trey Richardson, a Baylor, McCola did. And I didn't see that. I thought it like bounced off his bat, but it deflected off of either Richardson or his bat and, uh, hit Justin Mitchell in an unfortunate spot. And he was on the ground for probably about three minutes like it took about five minutes to get off the field. I mean, it was truly unfortunate. It could happen to anybody. And uh, he came off the field and Pelletier came in and I don't know. I really like Pelletier a lot. Uh, he's his pop time is absolutely excellent. I remember somebody mentioning, I think base runners are like five for 13 against him while stealing this year. So something like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of Pelletier. Uh, he didn't have a great day at the plate. But he has um, shown some power this year. And he's pretty, for a catcher, he's really fast on the base path. And 
So I, I'm looking forward to the future that he provides there. But yeah, uh, definitely not the greatest hitting day Sands for a single inning for K-State. <laughs> now, cut their hits in half on the previous day, but leave the runs the same. Yeah. Bat-Cats moment. That is the Bat-Cats moment. Yeah, we only see three pitchers from the Cats on this day. And uh, McCullough, the starter, he only goes three innings, goes five hits, uh, four runs, three earned, two strikeouts, a hit by pitch, 69 pitches uh, in that. He he has never looked really comfortable on the mound. I would say he doesn't. He was still confident and everything, but just like pitching, you know, he he didn't feel quite as dominant as like he has in the past, which is unfortunate. I just I really just think he's dealing with some sort of injury. Um, Ty Rule though, he came in and had probably his best outing of the year, and he he went five innings, credit with the win, four hits, one earned run, and those five innings. Four strikeouts, a walk, 75 pitches, eight ground outs. They stayed team batters. Really, really nice day for Ty Rule to come in and calm the waters after a rocky start to the day. And then, of course, Dylan Phillips comes in, gets credited with the save. Does one inning, two strikeouts, a walk, and forces a ground out. Of course, he did. Yeah, I. that's Dylan Phillips. Yeah, I, yeah, I was able to watch the last half inning uh where phillips got this uh the save and his slider was really working uh on that day but he i mean his slider was great his change up was great his fastball was fine but his slider and change up if he can get a slider and change up locating properly he's going to be a problem so yeah so they ended so the bat cats ended up taking the series against baylor and I'm are we in agreement that we can just kind of skim over the next game against Virginia Tech? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I watched pretty much the entire game and it was very unmemorable yeah. uh, for a K-State perspective, save for like a few things worth mentioning. But just I mean, Virginia Tech was a third ranked team in the country. We don't really know them particularly well other than P. Hughes coached there like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And had a few 40 win seasons and brought them to relevance. But yeah, just not a ton to write home about. I do want to talk about the pitching a little bit, but I mean, we can do a quick rundown of the rest of the, the game. Yeah. So this was an eight to two loss for K State in Blacksburg, Virginia against the number three team in the country. Did not realize they were that good. Yeah. Uh, we didn't, neither of us did. We kind of thought it was like, oh, yeah, Virginia Tech, who are they? It's like, yeah, the number three team in the country. Dummy. <laughs> I will say uh, on the broadcast, their ballpark looks really cool. Uh, yeah, it is a cool ballpark. Yeah, they had uh, uh, this like kind of like outdoor amphitheater style seating down the left field side where like, like you know what I mean, where it's like, yeah, it's like kind of grassy, but it's like there's steps. So like there's it's, there's kind of terraced in a way. Uh, it looks pretty neat, I thought. So kind of yeah. cool spot. Virginia Tech has some nice facilities and some good traditions. Uh, that's a place I'd like to see sometime. I'd want to go see it. I want to go to a football game to listen and do enter Sandman. Absolutely. That's like one of my two college traditions that I really, really want to go to a game just to see. The other one's the Kinnick Wave. Yeah. yeah. Not because it's Iowa, but because the Kinnick Wave is awesome and there's nothing anyone can say to convince me otherwise. I don't think anybody would try to convince you otherwise because <laughs> it's just an objectively cool tradition. <laughs> yeah. But the only... Uh, um, We'll skip over the scoring for for K State because there's only one time we scored. It was in the fourth inning with a Dom Johnson home run. There's 
offensively, we did nothing else. Yeah. A few other players in the middle of the lineup registered hits. I mean, our only players to do anything at all uh, for getting on base or putting the ball in play were the two through five hitters. Uh, Kalen Culpepper, Dylan Phillips, Dom Johnson, Nick Goodwin. Nick Goodwin, one for three with a walk. Dom Johnson, two for four, two RBI. Dylan Phillips, one for four. Kalen Culpepper, one for four. That's it. And everyone else went over. Uh, really unfortunate. I remember Dom Hughes pinch hit at one point when we had a couple runners on and like actually might have had something going late in the game. And then he struck out on three pitches where he didn't swing in a meatball down the middle, swung at a pitch high and in that if he had leaned a little bit further forward, it would have hit him in the face. And <laughs> uh, then like swung at something like below the knees. And I was like, sick. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech, really quality team. Uh, they blew up our starter. Uh, Griffin Hassel did not have a good outing whatsoever. Uh, gets credit with the loss. Goes three innings, seven hits, five earned, uh, 50 pitches. I mean, Virginia Tech was just getting on him quickly because he just doesn't have a lot of velocity. He's really just like a pitch-to-contact guy, except Virginia Tech likes that because they hit a lot of home runs. Yeah. I believe they lead the ACC in home runs. Uh, this year they're very similar to us in that regard but it's just clear that they're a more developed and talented team because they've been on this trajectory a little longer yeah and like christian rubeck came in and he did give up two earned but he only had two hits and one walk and he had three strikeouts with two hit by pitches which granted the hit by pitches were pretty rough uh he was clearly trying to throw a slider curveball and the ball just slipped out and he was getting booed a lot for it i which i get it's a home crowd i probably would do the same honestly but yeah you know it was not intentional and he goes 50 pitches as well, uh, similar to Hassel. But honestly, he looked great on the mound. The ACC Network Pro Virginia Tech commentators were doing a lot. They were spending a lot of time talking about how they really liked Christian Brubeck. He was throwing great stuff. It was the most comfortable he's looked on the mound all year, I would say. And I mean, like he was getting great strikeouts. Um, again, forcing a lot of flyouts, flyout pitcher, you know, five flyouts to one ground out. But you know, did only giving up two hits, and one of them was honestly, I would say, partially on Cole Johnson, uh, because it was a great pitch by Rubeck. It was uh, to a, a right-handed batter. He went uh, low and out of the zone, uh, and uh, they, he just reached across the plate and hit it perfectly. And Cole Johnson kind of had a bad first step on it and just barely missed it. Uh, in center field, probably should have had it, but yeah, things like, you I, hate to see. Yeah, and that brought around, I think, two runs, one or two runs. And I was like, man, that's really tough. But Rubeck, quality outing, honestly. I, I, I liked it. Um, he, he threw, I swear, like seven different pitches. Granted, I suck at identifying pitches, <laughs> but I mean, obviously, he was throwing a four seam that was sitting mid 90s. Um, we've seen him touch 98. Uh, with that at Toynton and it's clear that he just kind of doesn't know how hard he wants to throw it because I've seen him throw that in the low 90s he sits mid 90s but high 90s he just occasionally is just like okay okay yeah sure. all right he's kind of similar to Carson Seymour in that regard yeah but is not quite as developed and then uh oh also the ACC network <laughs> commentators I mentioned this to you Ace at one point that like a 
I don't think they meant to do it, but they kind of insinuated that Virginia Tech was stealing yes. signs. <laughs> and like, I, they definitely didn't mean to, and I don't think Virginia Tech was, but the way that they were talking about how Virginia Tech was uh, getting contact and hitting against Rubeck, you know, they were, they, they were kind of like winking a little. Because like, I remember at one point they were mentioning you know, Rubeck has great, this, this is a commentators for ACC Network. They were saying stuff like Rubeck has really great stuff. We really like what he's throwing, but it's like Virginia Tech knows exactly where he's going to be pitching and how hard it's going to be every single time because they're squaring him up perfectly. And, you know, it's like I kind of didn't. I was kind of like, that's a weird thing to say. And then they like hit a ball perfectly out of the zone and low. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> maybe. No, I don't think they were science. No. I just think they're great. I just think they're the third ranked team in baseball. I mean, yeah. you know, which was unfortunate. I did think it was funny that they said it. I think they kind of realized how it sounded about halfway through <laughs> that they were like, it's almost like they're saying, Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> we shouldn't say that, but I don't know. We work I really, for this network. We've been sitting, I, or I should say I've been sitting on Rubeck for a while now, uh, just in on this episode, just like how well he's been throwing, but it's mainly just because I've impressed about how far he's come. Cause he was just getting destroyed in some of his first outings of the year, just pure power pitching, no semblance of location. Just I'm going to throw the ball past you, except he was not, he was getting, bon- he was just getting yeah. blown up yeah. and he's clearly like added a little bit more uh, decision-making I would say to uh, his pitching more tactical. Um, I really like Rubeck and his potential uh, just I mean, with a guy with that strong of an arm and that much movement on his breaking stuff, he has a nasty slider. He threw a curveball several times that I really liked with a lot of 12 6 break. Um, he threw a few fastballs that had some run on him. Uh, I mean, I, like I said, the, to me, it looked like he threw like seven different pitches. Like, like I remember like distinctly thinking I saw like a four seam, a two seam, uh, a sinker, a curveball, a slider, and a cutter. And I was like, it's probably not actually throwing all of that, but <laughs> they're just, Darvish. they're just so unpredictable. That, I don't That's know, I, just you Darvish. Yeah. Well, let's have to get him on the podcast and ask him what he throws. But, yeah. <laughs> Christian Rubeck, please join the show. You can come well, yeah. on after Will Howard. <laughs> Very well. I'll allow it. But yeah, nice outing for Christian Rubeck. Uh, spent a lot, spent a lot more time talking about Christian Rubeck than I expected to, but yeah, I um, mean, it works. I was just impressed by what he had. Tyson Neighbors came in after him and uh, it wasn't bad at all, actually. Like, I was, I mean, at this point, like, it was clear we just weren't hitting Virginia Tech and they were hitting us. He only gave up one hit, uh, allowed a walk, one earned run, but he had three strikeouts against the number three team in the country. Neighbors, one thing that's been thoroughly impressive about him as a true freshman is that when he's put on a big stage against a big time opponent, he does not shy down. And if anything, it makes him more aggressive and it kind of works. Yeah. Like I think back to the Arizona game uh, when he had three strikeouts, including striking out all American uh, and his first ever college appearance. And then he, th- he showed a similar confidence uh, against Virginia tech. Even when he gave up a run, you know, he came right back and it wasn't any issue to him. So he only went one inning, 22 pitches. Neighbors is another guy who he's got a lot of junk. I really like what he he brings to the mound. He's like a more compact version of Christian Rubeck, kind of. <laughs> so they just took Rubeck and shrunk him a little, and but pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, he is another guy that I like. 
Uh, I hope that Buck Taylor is able to develop him. And then yeah. Dylan Phillips came in. Uh, the ninth he, inning is did, did he pinch an immaculate inning? Yes. He did. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, he did. Well, what does the immaculate inning have to be strikeouts or is it just three batters, uh, nine pitches? Uh, I think immaculate inning is three strikeouts. Okay. But uh, like Dylan, still nine pitches, well, three ground uh, outs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine pitches, three ground outs for Dylan Phillips. Obviously, not every AB was three. I think he had one that was like a one pitch ground out or something. But uh, I'm going to call it an immaculate inning just for fun because yeah. I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that that does it for the uh, pitching stats for that game. You know, uh, other than the starter, not bad at all, all things considered. So, yeah. And in terms of future games, the last series, not counting the Big 12 tournament for K-State, starts tonight, specifically in about an hour from when we're recording this. So yeah. against West Virginia, at West Virginia. So, you know, pray for the, the away Batcats. <laughs> but that pretty much wraps up anything that we're going to talk about that is K-State related. The rest of the show will be NCAA related and then the wacky segment of the week, which has a return of being slightly K-State related, but mostly because we're going to be roasting someone. But <laughs> let's start off with the NCAA news. And there are two things that I really wanted to touch on that have recently come out. The first one is the more recent one. And that is the NCAA has recently announced that they're going to allow reworks for how conference championship games work. In other words, they're going to let the conferences decide how their conference championship games are played. One conference has already announced how they're going to do it, and that is the Pac-12, who said that they're going to have it be the top two teams with the highest winning percentage. And I think that's irregardless of division. So in other words... This may be good news for people putting it back to K-State and the Big 12. If you're one of those people who does not like the ideas of divisions within the new Big 12, which I'm just happy that the new Big 12 exists. If there's divisions, so be it. But I'd prefer if there weren't. But, you know, this would take the two highest winning percentage teams in the Big 12 and then have those two face off. And the NCAA doing that is just kind of a a big step for conference autonomy, which to me is always going to be a good thing. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I think the big 12 has, I mean, they were, they were on the uh, forefront. They were kind of blazing this trail, I suppose, of uh, having a conference title game with no divisions. Part of it was just because they didn't allow you to have divisions with uh, fewer than 12 teams. But for a while, they weren't even letting us play a conference championship game. And they said, don't worry, it won't matter. The playoff. And then it did. And they were like, okay, our bad. <laughs> we'll, we'll just let you have a conference title. And so I think this has been coming for a while. But it's kind of surprising that it's taken this long to happen. Because it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple and procedural move. Honestly, they could have done this 10 years ago if they wanted to. And But it, it is being done. I think it's all around good. Because... Uh, it'll be better um, just to get the two best teams out of any conference and the title game. And Chuck is being a weird little guy right now. Uh, I was trying to figure out why you were like, I was wondering if I like said something funny. No, 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 no. Chuck is being a weird little guy. 
Okay, I got you. He's not little. <laughs> He's being a weird big guy. He's decidedly large. <laughs> <laughs> He's an extremely large animal. But yeah, um, I'm good with it. Uh, just because I think most conferences are going to go to the idea of just having their top two teams uh, face off, which uh, SEC East gone forever, I suppose. <laughs> Granted, I say that Georgia won the national title last year, but you know, I, I do think it gives a uh, generous leg up to the uh, former SEC West teams. The same argument could be made in a lot of different places, like a uh, former Big 12 South uh, would have dominated the Big 12 Sands, Nebraska for a really long time. Yeah. So I, I get the argument of wanting to not do that just because it gives uh, more teams uh, an opportunity that may not be able to always win. But on the other hand, in a championship game, you probably want your two best teams facing off there. Yeah. So, and you know, just if you want to get there, win games, pretty easy. So it's kind of simple, honestly. Yeah. I shouldn't say easy. <laughs> it's simple, but, but yeah, I makes total sense to me. Yeah. And then the next one, which I consider to be the bigger part of this two news, and this is probably something that we'll spend a little bit more time on. And that is recently, I'm not sure if it's still rumored or if it's already confirmed, but class counter limits for recruiting classes are either being talked about being removed or already have been removed. So what that means is before, I believe you can only have 25 scholarships given out per year plus seven because of transfers this year. Yes. What this means is that you can give out as many scholarships as you want for the next two years because they're waiving it for the next two years up to your team scholarship limit, which is 85. Yeah. So um, it's not as bad as you would think when you just read the headlines, because whenever you read the headlines for it, it implies that, every school can have as many scholarship players as they can afford. You see, that's what I thought it was. And I was like, that just seems objectively terrible because it, because it is, but basically what it is, is that now you can go past the 25 allotment or the 32 allotment. If you had people transferring out for the next two years, but the roster limit of 85 still applies. This is not great. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it could be worse, but this is not great. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of what's going to happen is in the first year or two, uh, it's going to be teams like Alabama and Ohio State and Blue Bloods are going to load up on blue chip guys and just take more than they normally would. The silver lining here is a lot of those guys are going to be good and just not be able to see the field. And so what's going to happen is they're going to transfer out and lose their free transfer. And then a school at a, a school like K-State could potentially really benefit from a system like this, but that's not going to be for like another three years. And when they're picking up guys that showed a lot of promise, but there's just, there's too many guys on the roster. I, I think it's going to be at the portal where it's ultimately going to balance out. We've seen the portal really balance out this year, at least in basketball. Even in football, we've seen a resurgence in JUCO prospects just because people have started to realize that a lot of guys in the portal are there for a reason, and it's either because they suck or because they're annoying. And yeah. so, so portal takes have become more selective 
and you've seen a lot more juco guys taken like it was before it's still at a much higher rate than it was in the past but it's it seems to be equalizing a little bit and i think it ultimately will become a normal thing and not be doom and gloom and i I think it's the same thing with the scholarship counter where teams are going to just really uh go they're going to try and get guys a lot and they're they're going to overextend uh themselves and they're just going to take more than they need and let it wash out you know this will allow it to where schools like bama can take more flyers which is really going to hurt for a couple years but I think eventually even those schools are going to be like, I mean, is it really worth it when, you know, like we were Alabama, we can make about anybody work really. So, and then all those washouts, they're going to get two years of blue blood coaching and then they're going to end up at another power five or group of five. And one of those schools is going to get someone that's really talented that got coached up at a much higher level. So, yeah. I think it ultimately balances out. I'm still not the biggest fan of it because I do think it's going to really damage recruiting parity. And I think NIL is going to be, be a massive issue with this. It already is. Because <laughs> A&M is just going to go out and purchase every five-star. Hey, now. Save that. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself, I know. But it was relevant. And, but, yeah, I mean... I'm not ready to sound the alarm on this, especially compared to what I thought it was. I was in the same boat as you where I, I really just thought they were getting rid of scholarship limits for teams. And if that was the case, I was like, well, okay. Uh, college football gone forever. I mean, parody has been dead for years, but yeah, at that point, they're literally just leaning into it to lean into the bit. And you know what? Got to hand it to them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That's, that's about how I feel about it. Yeah. I, the, the part about it just being for, like, I can understand why it's necessary to waive the 25 a year limit, especially with how the transfer portal has been. That doesn't mean that I necessarily am particularly fond of it, but mm-hmm. I get it. It's not the worst thing in the world. Honestly, it, it, it makes it simpler to just say, hey, we have 85 scholarships total available here's what we can give out. Yeah. I I think this will be useful for programs like KU as well, because KU has been probably 10 to 15 guys under the scholarship limit for like a decade. Yeah. And they just, they simply can't sign high school guys or get transfers fast enough to fill them up because people leave or they just wash out and they're not good. And so KU's probably, I mean, they signed a pretty big class two years ago, although this year's class is like hilariously small at the it's high school anemic. level. Uh, seven, I think. Seven, I think six so. or seven high school guys, which, and like one of them is good. <laughs> Ace and I did a fun film study last night. Yeah, <laughs> we, we were very we curious. Fun. We had fun. They but, drafted a drafted. They recruited a left tackle who ended up playing center. And if he's their starting center this next year, I don't care if he's only 250. He's probably their best lineman. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it'll it'll be beneficial for teams that have been struggling to get to the scholarship limit. Uh K-State's not one of those. And if they are under, it's by like one and they just give it to a deserving walk-on. And yep. they generally save room for that. Uh, like this year, it'll probably end up being uh, Will Honus and like Ben Sennett, I imagine, who go on scholarship. Uh, Gilly. Gilly. Yeah, I forgot about Gilly. So he'll probably also go on as well. Right. Um, and 
I mean, K-State's filling up pretty quickly right now. We don't have too many spots left. Maybe three off the top of my head. Three or four. I actually don't know. For so 22, I, don't want, I, I think we have four, five. I think we have five. Okay. Not counting yeah. any that we're giving out right now. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. I don't know off the top of my head, honestly. Ask a DY. I, DY would probably know better. <laughs> I, I would expect them to. So, but... <laughs> I'm not sure. But yeah. So that wraps up the NCAA news. We had both th- things that are changes that exist, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But now the moment you've all been waiting for is the dueling wacky segments of the week. And the first one, you know, we couldn't go without mentioning it. You can say rent free all you want. I don't care. This is objectively hilarious. And this is, we're not going to say the guy's name unless we say it accidentally. But let's just say that it was another KU journalist. This one doesn't have a check mark, unfortunately, so you can't make the blue check jokes. Uh, <laughs> he said something to the effect of how he's seen proof of Kansas State going out to kids that were visiting KU and then claiming that K-State ganked the recruits from KU, even though they were going to pass on them. I, you know, if you, (laughs) if you're like every other human being on planet earth, you know (laughs) that this is just called recruiting. (laughs) Yeah. I I take issue with that statement. Uh, like with K-State taking people so others cannot. Like this is not Premier League soccer. Like this isn't like Man City. This isn't Man City stashing world-class defenders just that way other teams can't have them. Like because they have exorbitant amounts of money from their Saudi oil barons. But it this is like, this is just kind of how offers work in recruiting. I mean, you're not in K-State's position. There have been numerous times where they hold off on offering a guy because they really like him and they're worried about him blowing up. Tobio is probably a good example of that. And then also because he was a camp offer and they wanted to see him camp before they offered him. But it's it's really strange to me to to split hairs over like when a guy gets a preferred walk-on offer because you're probably waiting to offer so the guy doesn't blow up. And also you're waiting to see if you have room, but by him visiting another school that ups the timeline of like, the, like giving the offer. So if, if someone else is like going to offer him on a visit, then naturally you're going to give him an offer as well. So he doesn't commit on the visit. And that's just how recruiting works. You, it's just recruiting. Yeah, you don't want to overextend yourself, but if you like a guy, you're going to take him uh, and worry about the consequences later. So, very interesting perspective. I think, I think the worst part is that he leaps off his tweet by saying, "K State cares more about this than us." <laughs> We care yeah. more about football recruiting than you. Honestly, <laughs> that is the tracks. <laughs> that is the equivalent of the kid Billy Madison, you know, just pees his pants. And he's just like, you always pee your pants. It's the coolest. <laughs> it's like, no. 
what do you mean? Yes, we care more about it than you. You can't just make the argument that you don't care because you suck at it. <laughs> I mean, they're they're doing that. But... They're do- and it's stupid. Look, it's look. funny, but it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, it does track that they don't care as much about uh, high school recruiting. I mean, they have the 123rd ranked high school recruiting class. They have six high school prospects and one JUCO guy. I mean, like 30 FBS teams. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty rough. And, you know, it's not a stretch to say that. And that's not an insult. They've just placed an emphasis on transfers. They have like the 30th ranked transfer class. Like, you know, they're not worried about building guys up from the bottom. You know, like they're they're wanting to bring in guys that are going to hopefully for them play immediately. And I, I don't know, a program like KU it's not going to be like K-State where you have a solid walk-on foundation. KU is not in a position where they can spend a lot of time worrying about walk-on recruiting right now. You know, it's a thing where it's like, if you have a guy that you think you can get, you try and get him. But I mean, K-State's got a 30-year reputation uh, with walk-ons that they can uh, back up. And it's not just a Bull Snyder thing at this point. It's also a Chris Kleiman yeah, thing. It's a Kleiman thing. Point. So I don't know. I, th- this thing like, occupied a slight amount of my my brain space for a couple of hours i thought it was really funny uh led to it us, is subjectively yeah, funny yeah it led to us uh looking at ku's high school recruiting class um <laughs> they do they had that one guy um that was like legitimately pretty good both their two offensive line prospects are probably their two best prospects mm-hmm. on there it's probably not even close either yeah. um I don't know what else to say other than that, really. It's it's the from non-transfers, it's a remarkably unremarkable class in size and skill. So yeah, I it's just it's just funny. I, yeah, <laughs> it was just a it was a weird thing to stand on, like to die on the hill. Like, why? <laughs> like they like, care like, more than us. Yes. Okay. Yes, we do. <laughs> like, wow, what an astute observation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it's a weird thing to just to, to split hairs about walk-ons like that, you know. Like, and I don't know, I've said it a few times already, but that's just how recruiting works, you know. You yeah, I, you wait till the last possible moment. Like if it's a fringe guy that you might give an offer to, you wait until you have competition to offer him or until you're like at the end of the recruiting season. Because K State didn't sign any of their walk-ons, I think, until the uh, spring period because they were waiting to see if they had room and those guys were waiting to see if they had other offers. You know, that's just kind of how that goes. And they added a few other guys after that. I mean, that's that's college football recruiting for you. Like, that, that's how it goes. And, and if you're going to consider that negative recruiting, K-State gets negatively recruited against all <laughs> the time because every school does. K-State, they're going to be like, you know, Manhattan's like, a small town has a small airport, you know, uh, they are going to bring in transfers to play over you or something like that. There, or there's you may not, not art play. everywhere. Yeah. There's not art everywhere. You know, it's not in the KC Metro, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, every school is negatively recruited against, I mean, even Alabama is going to get negatively recruited against, you know, they're going to be like, yeah, you can go there and you might play. You also might never see the field. And there's, that's just how recruiting goes. And, I don't know. It's interesting that they would pick that to get upset about because that's kind of a run-of-the-mill thing. I honestly thought that was pretty normal in recruiting. Yeah. I, oh, well. He's insinuating <laughs> that 
their recruiting staff that like sending text messages is, is a recruiting violation. Yeah. It, what? Uh, oh, well. I have nothing else to say about it. No, I don't either. But you know what I do have something to say about? The next wacky segment, which is <laughs> the Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher featuring coach Deion Sanders story. Yeah. This what is a, what a weird turn of events to wake up to. Yeah. So if you didn't know, Nick Saban went on a radio interview, I believe it was last night, right? Where yeah. he said that Texas A&M paid for their entire recruiting class, which like it's kind of I thought that was common knowledge. I didn't Yeah. I like that's not a particularly controversial statement. It rings hollow coming from Nick Saban, Nick head Saban. coach, head football coach at the University of Alabama, which famously does not pay student athletes. <laughs> that was sarcasm, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. But yeah, it, it while true, I, I I can't say it affects me at all because I'm like Okay, that's kind of the pot calling the kettle black there, yeah, Mr. Like, Saban. <laughs> and Mr. Man, you're not I'm, wrong, you're but not I don't wrong, care that like, it's you saying it. So yeah, like, but then it didn't just end there. No, Jimbo Fisher went on this morning to refute said claims, in which I believe some choice words were said about Mr. Saban. Yeah. And then Nick Saban decided that he was going to go on the radio again. Granted, so, the, the first time that Saban was saying all this stuff was not on the radio. It was at Alabama's version of catbacker meetings. That's true. Okay. Which actually makes it even funnier that he was bringing it up there because <laughs> yes. he's pretty much just challenging his donor base to <laughs> pay more money for their recruits. Yes. <laughs> Wait, now the context of the quotes make it even funnier. I would say. Yeah. So Jimbo then goes on the radio and espouses choice words about Nick Saban. Then Nick Saban goes on the radio again. We'll get into Deion Sanders' role in this eventually. I think Deion Sanders just caught... Oh, wait, no, I remember. Yeah. So we'll get into him in a second. But Saban then responded later on. I believe this was like a half hour ago at this point (laughs) to where he said... Listen, I was wrong to single out A&M in Jacksonville State. However, <laughs> however, they still did it. <laughs> and I am not apologizing. So Deion Sanders obviously feels insulted by this and says that he's going to go on the radio at some point to refute the false rumors that Jacksonville State paid their recruits to come there which they got the number one recruit in the nation. And again, this was another situation where I thought it was common knowledge that they paid him seven figures. Like I, I thought that, that everyone knew that. I didn't yeah, think that was that, controversial. That was something <laughs> that was pretty much publicly reported, as I recall. Yeah, I was like, um, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, I... Oh, well. <laughs> you, you know what's missing from this entire debacle? Hmm. Dabo. Yeah, I want Dabo to say something because <laughs> he's the only person that I believe is philosophically consistent enough. Say what you will about Dabo Sweeney, and I certainly will. I believe that he is a man who is consistent and does indeed hate NIL. <laughs> he does hate NIL. That is for sure. Um, not sure how he got all those recruits uh, to Clemson before they were good. 
but anywho, we'll anywho. see. Um, yeah, I'd, 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 I would. Carolina. Yeah, I'd imagine that Clemson is. They've politely asked Dabo Sweeney to just stay out of it for once. <laughs> I, I think they're begging him to just not say anything. And Dabo and Gundy are both being yeah. held at gunpoint. Also, by Dabo their also may not. Dabo also may not want to smack talk uh, Bama since he's probably going to leave for Bama whenever the job opens. So, yeah, I, I'm just saying, Gundy and Dabo are probably probably being held at gunpoint by their ARDs. Like, don't you say a damn word. <laughs> don't you say a word. <laughs> well, the difference is that Mike Gundy cannot be contained. <laughs> yeah. you, can, you cannot contain Gundy. You can only hope. That he doesn't yep. pop off. Yep. But yeah, yeah. that... that uh, the, the, la- the, the last development as of recording in this was that um, both Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher got public reprimands. But that's it. Cool. Like, yeah, they violated a few bylaws. It says they're related to ethical conduct and <laughs> for derogatory comments and public criticism of another institution's athletic program, which it's funny that that's like something you can be reprimanded for. It's basically like you can't talk smack about other teams. Like, yeah, that, that's what it is. I mean, I'm looking forward to Texas referencing this a lot. Anytime any team throws horns down <laughs> when they're in the SEC. That's going to happen every game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Texas is going to be able to hang around in the SEC because they've been pretty sensitive the last couple of years. And, you know, if this is just I was getting thrown around in spring ball, <laughs> they're not going to survive. The University of Texas, Austin may explode alongside the <laughs> alongside the guy who shows up on every single History Channel documentary that's ever been made. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, just a really weird situation that Deion Sanders was just kind of a part of and all simultaneously was not. Yeah. Like he kept he kept trying to interject, but nobody really cared. It's like he just kept <laughs> catching strays. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, I have something to say about this. And everyone say, not now, Dion. But I'm <laughs> Deion Sanders. <laughs> Which is okay, Dion. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much. Do you have anything else to add? I do not. All right. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to reach out and contact the show, you can eat. You can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville ACAT. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthasor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to go to the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, Neon Alley Cats, and Doomtang Clan. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>